Hello and welcome to part one of Establish Your First Line of Defense, an HP Wolf Security and Computer World podcast series. In the course of three episodes, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the murky world of cybercrime. With the help of some of the world's top cybersecurity experts, we'll unpick the current threat landscape and get some tips on how to keep your business safe. Cybercrime is big business, and it's getting bigger. According to Atlas VPN, it's already estimated to cost the global economy more than a trillion dollars a year, and that figure's expected to rise to over 10 trillion by 2025. The pandemic has added an extra layer of complexity to the problem, with the move to home working leading to an even greater reliance on technology while also exposing new vulnerabilities. And cybercriminals have been quick to exploit this new world, in particular by using increasingly sophisticated social engineering techniques, which we'll explore in more depth in this podcast. But first, let's meet today's two experts. Hello, I'm Robert Schifreen. I'm a writer, broadcaster, consultant on all sorts of IT security issues. And back in the 1980s, I was known as the first person in the world to be tried by jury in connection with computer hacking. Um, Ultimately, I was acquitted on all the charges. Nowadays, I write and talk and consult and broadcast about all sorts of IT security issues. Hi, I'm Alex Holland. I'm a senior malware analyst based in HP's threat research team. So Alex, how would you characterise the kind of cyber attacks that businesses are facing at the moment? When we look at the security telemetry shared with us by HP Wolf Security customers over the first half of 2021, we can really see three attack trends. The first is that most threats actually come into customer organizations via email. In fact, about three quarters of threats used email as the initial access vector. Enterprises really need to focus on email as a key networked security issue. Typically, these email threats use social engineering techniques as well. They may trick users into opening malicious attachments and links. The other key thing to remember here is that half of these email threats masqueraded as business transactions, such as invoices and purchase orders. The second trend is that the threat of ransomware remains considerable. We can see this in our threat data in that the top malware family isolated by HP Wolf Security in 2021 was Drydex. And this family is significant because each computer that is infected with Drydex forms part of a larger botnet. And slices of this botnet are then uh, rented out to cyber criminals who typically monetize their access to these infected computers by deploying ransomware um, targeting large enterprises. The third trend we see is what's called living off the land And this is where attackers use legitimate sysadmin tools and features in the operating system to hide their activity and evade detection. For example, we saw in one attack that targeted C-suite executives, the attackers used the certificate utility or cert util tool built into Windows to download secondary payloads in order to deepen the compromise on that system. 
I think it's astonishing that three quarters, 75% of the attacks we're seeing at the moment are coming from email. There are probably lots of security managers out there thinking there's so many things happening. There's so many potential vectors that can attack vectors into, into our system. So many things that could possibly go wrong. How can I prioritize my efforts? How can I work out what I should be thinking about first? And it's pretty obvious from the telemetry you're seeing that email is absolutely the number one priority to think about in terms of awareness training, installing products to scan emails and so on. And another observation is the fact that companies don't often find out for between six and nine months that they've actually been hacked in the first place. We do see companies putting out press releases saying we've recently discovered that our database was leaked or we had a data breach or whatever. And very often the time frame of that is it happened six to nine months before they actually discovered it because something particular happened to make them go back through their logs and look at it and they discovered they were hacked. So when you are thinking about installing security software, yeah, we talk about speed of response and things like that, but it's actually down to the discovery that's also very important. So anything we can install that can alert us as quickly as possible to the fact that something might have happened is ideal. Early detection can help mitigate threats, but most businesses seem resigned to the fact that breaches are inevitable. According to Trend Micro's most recent Cyber Risk Index report, 80% of organisations expect to experience a data breach in the next year. And by far the most common technique used by cyber criminals will be social engineering. Robert Schifrin, what are your thoughts on this? In the past, social engineering was generally doing hacking in person. So you'd turn up to somebody's office or you'd meet somebody in a social event and you'd say things that made them think you were somebody other than you wanted to be. For example, you might turn up at some company's reception desk and say, hello, I'm here to pick up that computer at reception that's here for me to pick up because I'm an engineer, or you booked it in for repair, and actually you're nothing of the sort, and you walk away with somebody's computer. A couple of years ago, I was speaking at a very large computer conference in London, and I was actually going to be talking about social engineering. So I thought, what can I do to make a bit of an impact and talk about social engineering and give it a good example of how it works? So I ordered on eBay a lanyard and a t-shirt that said security on them. And I used those. And then instead of walking through the front of the exhibition and having my bag searched and giving my badge in and saying who I was, I simply went through the security entrance wearing these things, happened to be carrying a hold all at the time for other reasons. No one batted an eyelid. Nobody said, who are you? Why are you here? Simply because I had security written on my clothing. And that, again, is social engineering. And I've heard all sorts of stories about the very interesting places you can get into simply by having security written on your high-vis jacket because people don't check and because they assume. So social engineering was always sort of doing hacking, if you like, in person. Nowadays, it does tend to also be covered by phishing, for example. You might receive a phishing email pretending to be from your bank manager or whoever. And again, that can possibly be classed as social engineering. But really, it just comes down to not trusting really who somebody says they are and if if somebody is pretending to be somebody else, unfortunately, online especially, rather than in person, it's very easy for someone to pretend to be someone else. I think that's a really exciting anecdote to talk about physical social engineering. From what we see in terms of digital social engineering, the attacker appeals to a person's sense of authority. And in this case, you talk about a lanyard and a badge. We also see it happen where the attackers appeal to a person's sense of urgency or curiosity. And even more insidious than that, social engineering often takes advantage of a person's eagerness to be helpful. For example, I used to be an instant responder, 
And I remember one incident where the original compromise happened around the new tax year. And in that case, the attackers sent out a malicious email campaign masquerading as the UK's tax authority. However, the user who received the email wasn't in the finance department. But in good faith, they forwarded that email to another user who was in the finance department. And they subsequently opened the attachments, which led to the network being compromised. Yes, I think the desire to be helpful overcomes everything. Equally, I have a friend who does physical penetration testing for a living. She tries to break into people's offices just to show how easy it is. And a brilliant thing she always tells me is that if you want to get through a locked door, be it inside a company that has a key card access or even an outside one that needs a key, if you stand by that door looking like you work there and you've got a cup of coffee in each hand, the next person who walks through that door will absolutely desire to be helpful and you can guarantee they'll simply open it and let you through. Those are the sort of tricks that make it very easy to get into people's offices, to get ultimately into people's computer systems. And the trouble with things like, you know, the physical penetration testing side, getting through people's doors, those sort of things are not going to be picked up by your conventional security software, not by your firewalls, not by your intrusion detection system. So just as much as it's important to have your IT systems very well secured, it also comes down to awareness and just some general thinking about the whole CIA, if you like, confidentiality, integrity, availability, all the different aspects of IT security and not just focus on just one or two of the risks. So a substantial amount of threat comes not from insecure hardware or software, but from poor building security and the criminal's willingness to exploit human behaviour and people's desire to help. So how do businesses protect against social engineering? Alex Holland. Yeah, so to defend against social engineering, I think knowing your environment is absolutely crucial because ultimately you can't defend against what you don't know you have. So enterprises need to establish and maintain an asset inventory, a software inventory, but also understand how their employees are using technology in the business and the attack surfaces that that technology might create. For example, we commonly see attackers abuse Microsoft Office macros to gain an initial foothold into an environment. One of the steps that businesses can take is to examine their usage of Office macros. And if it turns out that there isn't a business need for this feature, then they can go ahead and disable this feature and thus reduce their attack surface. Yes, I totally agree. ITIL has this thing called a service catalogue, which is basically a list of everything that's running on your servers so you know what's there and you can then start prioritising which ones to secure. An awful lot of companies don't have those. Sometimes it's incredibly complicated to put one together. Certainly the ease now with which we can spin up virtual machines either in-house or in the cloud for a couple of euros or a couple of pounds a month. People do have a huge number of systems, either in production or development or under test, and it's difficult to know what's there. It's difficult to know what's running. It's difficult to know who's supposed to be using it. It really all comes down to trust, whether you're talking about someone turning up at reception saying, hello, I'm from the engineering company, I've come to take away some computers, whether it's an email coming in saying, I'm your MD, I'm your CEO, here's an important document, please click on this link, or anything else in between. It simply comes down to trust and understanding and some basic awareness and some thinking, you know, could this be genuine? Could it not? 
how do I try to work out the difference? There's a company I know of where they actually gamified the um, phishing email detection system. So rather than just looking at your email and thinking, oh, could this be a phishing email? Could this be spam? Might it not be genuine? Um, you got a point for every suspect email that you successfully identified as being spam or phishing and that you forwarded to the IT department. And the person at the end of the week who had the most points got a box of chocolates. So that simply means that Every time somebody in the company is looking at an email, the first thing they do is think, could this be genuine? Because if it's not, that's probably another point towards my box of chocolates. And it just puts that in the front of people's minds every time. So techniques you can do like that will pay huge dividends in improving your security. CIOs and CSOs now find themselves in a constant battle of wits with the cyber criminals. As they close one door, another route opens. But are enterprises fully aware of the threats they're facing? I think there is still a huge gap. When I was doing hacking 30 plus years ago, the awareness simply wasn't there. Having said that, the dependence and the reliance on, on IT really wasn't there either. Obviously, nowadays, that's completely changed. And without our IT systems, most companies are nothing. But the awareness is not there. And sometimes the awareness is there. But other things get in the way. Yes, it's very important, for example, as Microsoft and other companies keep saying, that we always have to patch our servers. And you might see a company put out a security patch saying it's only five minutes of downtime to install this patch. But A, it might end up being more than five minutes. And B, five minutes of downtime could be very serious, especially for global organizations that have companies all over the world and don't have any night times, for example, where system usage is very low. Equally, we have the problem where desire to introduce new features, desire to keep the system going, desire for or continual progress overrides the need for security. So it's much better if you can to be aware of the risk and just spend some time examining it and thinking about it and researching it before you implement the feature and before you effectively add this code to your server and force it on all your users. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Robert, on your point about how companies often prioritize availability above security. I think it's one of those truths about security that you don't really know you need it until you need it. One of the things I've noticed is that the level of awareness between enterprises varies from industry to industry and also across the different sizes of organization. For example, financial institutions uh, tend to be more mature in their awareness of threats. And I think in part that can be attributed to the regulatory environment. I also think the spate of ransomware attacks on hospitals and medical facilities over the last two years has heightened awareness in the healthcare industry about this problem. In things like healthcare and the financial industry, security awareness is generally better because of the regulatory issues, which means they tend to employ also people and they have the money and they have to have the budget to employ people to keep things secure. One could argue that that sometimes stifles innovation and stifles progress and stifles customer service and um, because of the regulatory issues. Outside of those highly regulated industries, companies are generally more keen to do more things, to act more quickly, to be agile, which is one of the buzzwords at the moment, sometimes at the expense of security. The ever-evolving landscape of cybercrime means we need ever more innovative ways to tackle it. And for many, that means embracing the principles of zero trust. HP's Alex Holland. One of the game-changing technologies in HP Wolf Security is process isolation because it introduces the principles of zero trust to the endpoint. And what I mean by that is that instead of trusting 
every file, link, and email that comes into an enterprise by default. What HP Wolf Security does instead is that it opens the file or website in a hardware-enforced virtual machine. This means that if the file or website turns out to be malicious, it can't infect the host machine. The benefit of this approach is that the protection you get doesn't rely on detection. Because the trouble with detection technologies like antivirus and endpoint detection and response is that detection fails when faced with truly novel threats. This is because the way detection technologies work is that they rely on detecting known bad patterns or they use heuristics or machine learning to extrapolate similar bad patterns. The other benefit is that it gives IT teams visibility into attacks facing their enterprises because we can let the attack play out in this secure environment and the virtual machine acts as a flight recorder black box so we can see exactly what the attacker was trying to achieve, what the secondary malware was being delivered, and it really gives lots of rich data for IT security teams. We'll be exploring Zero Trust more in episodes two and three, but what can embattled IT security teams expect coming over the horizon in the short to medium term? Robert Schifrin again. I think more of the same, really, to sum it up, certainly in terms of ransomware, because it's very profitable and it works. We're not going to see ransomware going away anytime soon because it's quite a profitable way of doing things. If you look, for example, at talking of ransomware, which obviously comes in sometimes via phishing attacks, um, you look, for example, at the companies that provide phishing simulations where they send out legitimate looking phishing attacks, if you like, to companies just to see as a research project how many people click on it. You will generally see 50, 60, 70% of people inside a large organization click on this so-called phishing attack. Companies generally regard something as low as 30% as being a very, very good success rate. So 60, 70% is not unusual for the sort of click-through rate to have. You know, there are lots of marketers who would love to have a 60, 70% open rate on their emails. So while people still open emails, while ransomware simply still works, it's not going to go away. And as more and more companies start to use crypto as, as they invest in it, as they accept it as payment, I think we're going to see a lot more people monetizing their computer misuse by stealing or diverting crypto funds. In the next two or three years, the big things will be ransomware and crypto. As long as ransomware remains an effective monetization method for cybercriminals, we can expect to see an intensification of these types of attacks, particularly against large enterprises. Unless we see disruption activity from governments or even changes in the design and traceability of some of these cryptocurrencies, we're likely to see a continuation of this trend of enterprise-grade ransomware attacks. The other trend that I want to highlight is that I think the endpoint remains a huge focus for cyber criminals. Uh, for example, about 70% of attacks actually start with a compromise of the endpoint. And I think particularly with the move to hybrid and remote work over the last 18 months, it only heightens the risk that enterprises face. Yes, I completely agree. Um, attacks do 
tend to originate on the endpoint and it tends to originate with end, with users. Computer criminals are very innovative and they will look for new techniques to use, but they're also very innovative in their use of psychology. So they won't just look for technology and exploiting bugs in existing systems. They will also look for ways of exploiting the human firewall, if you like, the people. So anybody who does IT security for a living, any IT manager who has a security brief in addition to perhaps any other role, you need to be aware that you know the technology needs to be in place to detect attack and to prevent attack, but also the awareness training needs to be in place so that the, your people, who are arguably your greatest asset, can actually help to detect these things as well. And if we can put those two together, and if we can have the people, our staff, our employees, and the technology behind the scenes working together to prevent attacks, then we can do an awful lot to help the loss of data and the loss of information and to keep business running smoothly. Our thanks to Robert Schifrin and Alex Holland. That's all for this first episode of Establish Your First Line of Defence, brought to you by HP Wolf Security in association with Computer World. For more information, go to hpwolfsecurity.computerworld.com UK. Next time, we're going to be exploring how IT leaders can help their employees work more securely in the face of ever-increasing attacks. We've seen real growth in the profits that organised crime groups are making, and that's given them more money to invest in becoming more sophisticated, and I think it's really raised the stakes for organisation. Till then, goodbye.